Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. Joining us on this episode is Dr. Jennifer Lee, the Director of the Virginia Department of Medical Assistance Services. Dr. Lee is an emergency physician by training, and as DMAS Director, she's been on the front lines of the work to win approval for Medicaid expansion and to oversee its successful implementation. In a moment, we'll chat with Dr. Lee about all of that and more, but first, welcome to the program, Dr. Lee. Thanks for having me, Julian. Well, thank you for joining us today. Let's start our conversation with an update on Medicaid expansion, which I mentioned just a second ago. The quick recap is that the General Assembly and Governor Northam reached a compromise on coverage expansion in the spring of 2018 that involved private hospitals contributing millions to the state as part of that deal so that thousands of low-income Virginia adults could gain health care access. DMAS and many other stakeholders, including the hospital community, spent the months between then and the start of enrollment in November 2018 working feverishly to ensure a smooth and orderly process ahead of coverage beginning on January 1. Now, about six-plus months later, where do things stand as it relates to Medicaid expansion, Dr. Lee? Sure. Well, first, I just want to thank the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association and uh, all of the partners that it took to make Medicaid expansion a reality because it this really uh, was not just a effort driven by our agency at DMAS. It really took a village to make this happen. And and so I just want to say a, a big thank you to, to you and to everybody who supported and worked so hard to make expansion a reality in Virginia. And to answer your question, uh, Medicaid expansion is going great. And it is, is no doubt, it is a game changer for healthcare in Virginia. So right now we have about 295,000 Virginians enrolled and accessing healthcare through expansion that the large majority of had no access to healthcare in the past. And I know that because, as you, as you shared earlier, uh, I'm an emergency physician by background, and I saw many of these patients in the ER come in in crisis because they didn't have insurance and they didn't have access to care to prevent them from getting into a crisis situation. And so, to me, it's very meaningful and it is just so significant that we've extended coverage to the, the 295,000 Virginians, low-income, mostly working Virginians, through expansion. And I can talk a little bit about what we're beginning to see, uh, if you like, in some of the healthcare utilization uh, in this population. By all means, please continue. So Sure. So, you know, we have some early data, and I will stress it is early because, uh, you know, we are, most of our data comes from claims submissions, so it is not real time. I want to stress that. But what we can say now is that in the first few months, and this is about from two months of data, uh, we're just starting to get March data in, that we have seen over 60% of those enrolled in expansion, to be exact, about 64% already receiving healthcare through Medicaid as a result. So that's about 175,000 members. And many of them are getting treated for chronic conditions. Some of these conditions might be newly diagnosed and some might be illnesses that they've been dealing with for a long time and just have not had adequate access to care. So, for example, again, from early data in the first few months, we're seeing 35,000 people diagnosed with hypertension and getting treatment for that. 16,000 diagnosed with diabetes or getting treatment for that, and a significant number also getting treated for substance use disorder, as many as 15,000 who are getting, uh, who are diagnosed with substance use disorder. 
and also uh, of note, about 2,500 with a cancer diagnosis. Again, this is early data. I do expect that these numbers will go up as we continue to see claims come in from the expansion population. Well, all of those are really encouraging statistics, and I appreciate you sharing them. And it sounds like the big picture takeaway here is that this is working as anticipated and as intended. People that needed care who previously did not have access to care, and as you said, may have only been able to access care through a hospital emergency department, are now being able to have their needs met and met in the appropriate setting. Uh, So that's really good news. Absolutely. Uh, let's stay with Medicaid for a second. On the whole, it strikes me that Medicaid can be something of a misunderstood program. We sometimes hear about Medicaid's share of the state budget, but what sometimes gets overlooked in that talk is the important role that Medicaid plays in connecting more than one and a half million Virginians to essential health care services that they might not otherwise be able to access. As I understand it, more than half of Medicaid's covered population is children in low-income families. Medicaid also helps cover people with serious disabilities, elderly people, pregnant women, and more recently, because of expansion, low-income adults. Medicaid also, as I understand it, covers one in three births in Virginia, which might be a surprise to people. So in other words, Medicaid is a, a complex program that naturally has costs associated with it because it is vitally important to the many Virginians it serves. With that background, Dr. Lee, I want to give you an opportunity to share what you think are some of the key things people should know about Medicaid that perhaps may get glossed over in the public discourse about the program. Well, I couldn't have put it better myself, Julian. I think you're exactly right. You know, Medicaid is health insurance for the low income, for key populations, mostly children, those with disabilities, the elderly, pregnant women, and now, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, low income but mostly working adults who can't afford health insurance otherwise. And uh, Medicaid plays a vital role in our healthcare system. But I think, as you also uh, alluded to, what's often overlooked is the important role that Medicaid plays in our economy, in our community, in supporting people to be able to enter or re-enter the workforce. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we've already heard feedback from uh, from those in the expansion uh, enrollment group that have come into coverage is that uh, I've talked with many of them, and many of them tell me that with this health coverage, I will be able to get the, for example, the cataract surgery I need so that I can see and so I can go back to work because actually they've lost jobs because they could not see or they weren't well enough to work. Another example, a woman who told me she was too ill with her uh, mental illness and her thyroid disorder to be able to keep her job as a teacher. So the first thing she said to me was, first of all, thank you that I have this coverage now and I want to get well so I can go back to work. So Medicaid plays a key role in enabling people to enter and remain in the workforce. And just as you said, the largest population of those we cover are children because it's so important for children to be healthy, to be able to be successful in school, and uh, to be able to have the lives that they were meant to, to lead. We do play a very a vital role in enabling they get access to all of the services, especially those kids with special needs, that they get access to all the services that they really are entitled to and that will enable them to have a healthy start in life. I think those are some great points. And it sounds like what you're saying is that Medicaid is a pathway to prosperity for people, whether it's people, as you said, who have had 
illnesses or health conditions arise that has limited their workforce participation, people that want to get back into the workforce, or as you said, uh, young children who are the bulk or the largest share of the covered population in Medicaid, to help them get off to the right start, the healthy start in life so that they can be productive later on. So I appreciate you, you providing that overview. I want, to shift, Absolutely. I want to shift a little bit. You mentioned a few moments ago when we were talking about expansion, the substance use treatment services that thousands of Virginians who need that kind of care have been able to avail themselves of. You and I both are well aware that enhancing Virginia's behavioral health and substance use treatment capabilities is something that obviously DMAS, DBHDS, many other state agencies, as well as the provider community, have devoted considerable energy and resources to. A good example of that is the Addiction Recovery and Treatment Services Program, known as ARTS. This program and its associated benefits, which are relatively new, means that more Virginia patients who need an array of substance recovery services have greater access to them. And this includes everything from residential treatment, inpatient detox, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient, case management, peer recovery support, and more. As you survey the landscape, Dr. Lee, what are some of the successes of the arts program so far, and what do you see moving ahead from the DMAS perspective as it relates to substance use treatment? So, Julian, I'm so glad that you mentioned the arts program because this benefit, the addiction recovery treatment services that was added to the Medicaid program in 2017, has really been life-changing and life-saving for so many Medicaid members. We did had an independent evaluation done of uh, the program by VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, and what they found is that in just one year of the program being live, Medicaid was able to double the number of individuals with substance use disorder who got connected with treatment. And in the same year, we also saw emergency department visits decrease by over 20% for substance use disorder. And it's an incredible finding. And uh, the way I would explain why we're seeing these trends is that the addiction and recovery benefit what it did in Medicaid, we started paying providers at a more competitive rate, and uh, we started covering the services that we knew there was evidence behind to support, you know, that, that will really work when it comes to addiction treatment and maintenance of recovery. And as a result, we saw many more providers coming in to take Medicaid patients and really offering, again, that evidence-based continuum of services that are needed to treat addiction. And I'm certain that we have saved lives uh, and changed the trajectories of people's lives by working together to enable this benefit to to become a reality. And I, I, I want to point out, too, Again, it really, it wasn't just Medicaid. This was, as you stated, Medicaid working with providers, working with our sister agencies at behavioral health, and with the support of the General Assembly being able to connect this new service uh, and additional services uh, for people with addiction who really needed it. And when we talk about substance use, I know that DMAS and DBHDS are also very deeply engaged in behavioral health redesign in Virginia. And so as we discussed the arts program, we mentioned partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient treatment as a, being among the strategies that have proven effective with substance use patients. My sense is that 
Medicaid coverage for those types of treatments are also included in the behavioral health redesign plan as it relates to mental health outpatient services. Um, and I know that that also is going to require some general uh, assembly endorsement and support. What are your thoughts on on that and sort of the, the future outlook there? Sure. So we want to see the same kind of partnership that worked so well with the Addiction and Recovery Treatment Services Program. Also in our joint approach to transforming the behavioral health system. So, you know, we do have, as Commissioner Melton in behavioral health would say, we have a crisis in our system in behavioral health, and we need to address the bed crunch, the fact that our state hospitals are just uh, bursting at the seams, and the fact that we uh, need to actually get to the point where we're preventing hospitalization. We want to get to crisis prevention in behavioral health, and we're committed to seeing how we can do that. Medicaid is the number one payer of behavioral health services in the state, um, is a key component of that solution. And much like ARTS, our intent is to fund and support those evidence-based services that have been proven to work. And I think our initial, and there is a long-term plan that we're working on together, uh, but our initial objective is helping people to avoid crisis and prevent hospitalization. Well, I appreciate you sharing those thoughts. I want to ask you one other forward-looking question. The Virginia Medicaid program recently celebrated its 50th birthday. Over five, right. over five decades, a lot of work has been done to help so many Virginians, uh, some of whom you've discussed uh, during our conversation. As we look ahead, I know one of the priorities for Governor Northam is focusing on implementing strategies to end racial disparities in maternal and infant mortality by 2025 and to improve health for mothers and babies. This is, as I understand it, this is a subject you're also quite passionate about as well, Dr. Lee. So I wonder if you can discuss the work around maternal mortality and highlight any other emerging areas of focus for DMAS in its work to improve health outcomes for Virginians. Absolutely. So uh, just a few weeks ago, you know, Governor Northam stepped out in a big way with a challenge to all of us to end racial disparities in maternal mortality by 2025. And I just have to, we are so excited and I have to applaud him for putting that challenge, that bold challenge out there that directly confronts a very disturbing trend that is happening right now, not just in Virginia, but across this nation where we're seeing maternal mortality actually rise. And a lot of what's driving that are racial disparities. So African-American uh, maternal mortality is significantly higher than the rest of the population. And there's there are a lot of reasons for that, and we will um, develop strategies to mitigate those. But we have to face the fact that a lot of that is still based on historical barriers and racism in our healthcare system. And so I personally am very proud to be supporting the initiative to be a part of this. And I also want to applaud the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association because, as I understand it, uh, you all are a lead partner in this with us, with the health department, and you, in fact, have several hospitals that are going to be implementing culturally sensitive provider training, 
evidence-based practices and other strategies to address this. So I, I think there's this is the most important public health goal that we should be uh, looking at right now that I'm glad we're doing it together. And we at Virginia Medicaid are making this our top priority for the agency that by 2025 we'll be able to, to end this maternal mortality. And we really want all mothers and their babies to be able to celebrate their child's first birthday together healthy and happy, you know, by 2025. And, uh, you know, as you said earlier this week, uh, we just celebrated our 50th birthday. Virginia Medicaid uh, was born, if you will, on July 1st, 1969. And we thought there wasn't a better time for us to announce this new initiative, which we're calling, by the way, Healthy Birthday, Virginia, um, to uh, focus on really the opportunity that this is about healthy starts, this is about ensuring moms and their babies um, have the very best chance at, at success in life, and we're going to do whatever we can do at Virginia Medicaid to meet the governor's goal and to make that a reality for every family in Virginia. Well, as you said, uh, you want mothers and babies to celebrate uh, their birthdays together, their first birthdays, and maybe you know get to that that 50-year mark or even beyond, uh, which is a sign of a, a long and hopefully healthy and prosperous life. So that sounds, like, that sounds like a real laudatory goal and, uh, and something that so many partners in the, in the healthcare community, as you mentioned, uh, can get behind. So thank you for sharing that. Before we go, we'll close with a question that we ask all of our guests on VHHA's Patients Come First podcast. It's one that we borrow from a popular BBC program, and the question is this. If you, Dr. Lee, were stranded on a deserted island, what one book and one album and, this is a new wrinkle to this question, one movie would you take with you to keep yourself occupied? Uh, and we will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than a religious text, you can choose whichever text you prefer. Um, <laughs> what, what book, album, and movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? Wow. So... Let's see. If I were on a deserted island and I already had the Bible, which is very important for me personally, and uh, you said you can, you would supply me with that. So I think that, you know, I would take a uh, book that has helped me a lot in my leadership journey, and uh, it's one that everyone knows well, and that's Stephen Covey's, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People mm -hmm. and I don't know that I would really need it on a deserted island. You know, perhaps I could, I, I, let me, you know, perhaps it would be more useful to have a cookbook of what to uh, turn coconuts into. <laughs> but, but, uh, um, but I love reading leadership books. And so that's one that popped into my mind. Uh, album. Well, I'm a huge U2 fan. And so I would have the Joshua Tree with me. And then movies-wise, well, I'd, I'd pick a long movie because I'd have a lot of time on that island. And so if I could say the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I would bring the whole thing and I'd watch that many times over. We'll, we'll call that fair. And uh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Joshua Tree. I was, I was just listening. I forget which program, but I was listening to someone on the radio and 
they remarked that uh, U2 has now been around in the public consciousness for 40 years and running, which wow. made me feel old. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's um it's it says something about the band and I am a diehard fan uh for many reasons and you know, one of them being the the unity of the band and what they stand for out there in, in the world. And so and besides making great music. Well, I, I don't think many people would dispute the fact that uh they are a, a very, very talented and a band whose longevity is, is earned. Well, listen, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Patients Come First podcast. And so, Dr. Lee, again, thank you for carving out a few moments of your time to be with us today. My pleasure, and thanks again for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. You can listen to this episode and previous episodes of the podcast through SoundCloud, Blueberry, or online at www.vhha.com. You can also send us questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions about future podcast episode guests using the email account pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that address is pcfpodcast at vhha.com. We also encourage you to connect with us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can contact us through Twitter using the hashtag PatientsComeFirst, and our Twitter account is at VirginiaHHA. Thank you. Thank you.